The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Well, welcome to a new year. 2017 is not only upon us, but now we have to look ahead and say, what am I going to do with this new year? So what filled your schedule in 2016 and what emptied your bank accounts in 2016? So let me, let me ask you the follow-up obvious question. With what filled your calendar and emptied your accounts, did it fill your life or empty your life? And then as you look ahead to 2017, what's going to fill your calendar and what's going to drain your accounts? Will whatever you're putting in place to fill your calendar fill your life? Whatever's going to drain your accounts, will it also drain your life? If you're like me, then you're driven. And being driven, you've already set some goals. You've got plans in motion. You've put strategy in place to accomplish things in 2017 because your attitude is this. You know that little phrase, when all is said and done, more is said than done? And you don't like that. So you're like, you know what? I'm going to do it. I'm going to live this year. I'm going to make it happen. And so you want to do more. You're going to add more to your schedule. You're going to accomplish more, you're going to achieve more, you're going to earn more so you can be more. But with all of that adding and putting more onto it, will it actually make us more? Or will it just drain us and leave us worn out and exhausted so that we'll get to the end of 2017 using words like burned out and worn out again? Here is our challenge. Whatever we're filling our activities with, whatever we're filling our calendar with, and whatever is draining our bank accounts is probably what we're trying to use to fuel our life. So what is, what is the assessment of this? Meaning, if you were to look back over the story of your life, year after year after year, what would you say about life itself in our attempt to fill it with all of this frenetic, frantic activity? Is it working? Meaning, is what's filling our cam- uh, calendar filling our life? And so I thought, you know, I'll just borrow from... One of the great Shakespearean plays, Macbeth, and some of you, this is a quote, probably one of the only quotes, or maybe a few quotes you might remember from reading this in high school or something, but there's this really, uh, it's a powerful quote written by Shakespeare at the death of the queen. In fact, the part in the play is Macbeth uh, asks Seton, wherefore was that cry? There was a, a death cry. And Seton replies, the queen, my lord, is dead. And then he kicks into this uh, what they call like a soliloquy, like this kind of commentary, uh, out, out, brief candle. Life is but a walking shadow. A poor player that struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is heard of no more. It is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury, signifying nothing. That's one way to look at life. That's a pretty bleak and dark way from a Shakespearean perspective written into a play that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Just each person gets their brief moment on the stage of life. They strut their stuff, they flaunt their moments, and then they disappear like a shadow. Maybe Shakespeare borrowed some of those thoughts from another author, an author named David 
David, who was a God follower, but David, who when he looked at life, had a similar, albeit varying view of life itself. And in fact, he wrote poetry. David is this farmer who becomes the king of Israel. David is this boy who becomes a warrior and a man of great renown, who in some of his poetry captures this very thought. One of Many of his poems become part of the book of Psalms included in the Bible because they're written not just by a man as he's going through life, but they're written under the inspiration of God's spirit to also speak to our lives. And so in Psalm 39, David writes this, each man's life is but a breath. Very similar to Shakespeare who wrote, out, out, brief candle. Life is but a shadow. And uh, he, but, he, but the whole part of what he says is this. This is David's view. And I think we can borrow from this as we're looking ahead to a new year. He says this is the kind of the full context of that writing where he says, each man's life is but a breath. He says, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. So David's taking this moment. He says, I need to pause and I need to reflect on life. I, God... Help me to look at my life and realize that life has an end on earth and help me to be conscious to number my days, meaning to realize that I only get a few brief days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You have made my days a mere hand breath, meaning this is it. That's the, that's the length of my life. <clears throat> and the span of my years is nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. <clears throat> Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. I, I think that's the verse that Shakespeare borrowed when he was writing Macbeth. But here's the thing. Here, here's what David's saying. He goes, look at life. It's so temporary and so quickly extinguished. We're busy and frenetic in our activity. And so we work, but our labor is nothing but spitting in the wind. Our savings is like breeze, like dust to the breeze. And our life, our time is like sand in the hourglass. It's just kind of running away from us. So I thought it'd be very appropriate to look at David's life. Here's this man who was, you know, passionately anchored to God, saying to God, God, help me look at the span of my life. Remind me how brief my time on earth is. And then I want to bring you to the kind of the last words of David. What were the last things he had to say about life? And what are some principles we could draw from David, this guy who numbered his days, who asked God to help him look at his life retrospectively and there's a book in the Bible that records the last writings and moments of David's life. It's actually called uh, the second book of Samuel. It's a book of history. But fortunately for us, uh, we can learn from this history, right? Like this is something that becomes alive in our life because it's not just history of man. It's history of how God relates to man, which is why it's in the Bible as part of sacred history, part of sacred writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And uh, the, these two chapters, Second Samuel, 22 and 23 record some of the last words, last writings of David, this um, 
warrior king, this poet champion who looked back on his life, and, and this is what he writes. So I'm going to give you kind of the introduction first, and then we'll jump right in to what principles we can draw from it. Second uh, Samuel 22 verse 1 says, David sang to the Lord the words of this song when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all of his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So he looks back on all of his battles and all of the enemies he had fought, and he, and he writes this song in celebration of all the victories God had given him. And so I think we can learn something from this song. And then the next chapter opens this way. These are the last words of David. And so we're going to look at these two chapters, and we're going to see what we can learn from them. The, the chapter 22, the very next thing that he writes is this. He said, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take. Can you, can you kind of feel it? Here's David kind of laying in the hospital bed, breathing some of his last breaths, looking back at his life, all of the battles, all of the fights, all of his accomplishments, all of his achievements, all of the struggles in his marriage and his kids and all the achievements and victories and failures, triumphs and defeats. And, and this is the conclusion. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. My God is my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation. He is my stronghold, my refuge, and my savior. What, what a statement, and what can we learn from this? So you, you have this perspective of both Shakespeare and David looking at life and saying life is like a shadow. Life is just a breath. It, it comes and it's quickly gone. And so you know, as well as I do, that you're going to be sitting similar to this moment one year from now, and it's going to feel like it just went. Isn't that true? And no matter how old you are, you look back on a year and it just it, it evaporates. So we have a choice. We can just get caught in the frenetic busyness of life, and we can let the calendar fill our schedule and fill our life, and we'll just race through the moments, or we can take a pause and say, wait, wait, wait. Maybe at some point I should be like David and say, God, help me to number my days. Remind me how brief my time on earth is. Help me to live wisely. I only get this much time. Help me to be wise with this year. And so what principle do we extract from this brief passage I read you? Now, this is a story of David's life, so I'm not trying to reduce it just to this passage, but I can tell you it's right there. The first thing I want you to recognize is this, and I would encourage you to write this down as you're taking notes today. In your program, there's a place to take notes. Feel free to use a smartphone or a tablet. You can put this right on social media. Maybe you want to Facebook Live this so that you can remember it and you can put it in your you know, feed for posterity's sake. Here you go. First thing I want you to recognize is that whatever fills your life is what you are trying to use to fuel your life. Let me abbreviate that. What fills fuels. Do you get that? All right. Now, the problem with that is not everything that fills is good fuel. Right. So what would be good fuel? This is the principle I want you to take. Be filled with God in order to be fueled by God's presence. Be filled with God with the life of God, so that you are fueled by the presence of God. Here is our challenge. We need a fuel that doesn't empty us. Our challenge is 
that what we're striving for cannot be the source of the striving. Whatever you're trying to accomplish will not fuel your accomplishment, right? Because that would be circular thinking. That would be a catch-22, right? It doesn't work like that. I need energy to go to work. Work can't be the source of that energy. All right, so here's our challenge. We need to tap into an energy fuel, a source that will fill us rather than drain us. But life drains. Life empties, life takes. So where can we find a fuel that doesn't leave us drained and empty? Ah, here is the, here's the greatest challenge. We live our lives drained and emptied because there is like a hole in the bucket of our life, a, a, a hole in our gas tank. That hole is called sin. Sin has punctured a hole in the fuel tank of our life so that constantly we are being emptied, we're being sabotaged, our life is being drained from us. Now that sounds bleak, but it's actually bleaker than you and I realize because sin doesn't just sabotage the fuel source, it also lights the match. It's destroying the fuel, which destroys our life. Sin is a term biblical authors use to describe our instinct, the nature inside of us to go in the opposite direction of the way God designed us. It it would be like, you know, Taking your, taking your laptop or your phone and then using it, using your cell phone like a hammer, right? Like that's not the way it was designed to be used. And so sin drives us to use, if you were to imagine your life like a cell phone, sin drives you and I to use our life like a hammer. So we're, it tricks us so that we believe that something that is destructive is actually good for us. It perverts and distorts our thinking so that we believe something that's a lie. We believe, we convince ourselves because it feels good. It feels right because we're broken inside. And because we're broken inside, the very things that would hurt us and destroy us, we believe to be good for us. And this problem with sin is that it wrecks our lives. It wreaks havoc in our hearts, our minds, our emotions, our relationships. It destroys everything around us. It's wrecking the world. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part of sin is that it leads to an eternal, a forever ruin. Now, if the story ended there, Welcome to Lifehouse. I mean, this would be horrible, right? But the story doesn't end there. In fact, even David, at the end of his life, he is reflecting on this moment. And he goes like this. This is in 2 Samuel 23, verse 5. Again, last words of David, where he's looking back on life, and he says this. Is not my house right with God? Has he not made with me an everlasting covenant, arranged and secured in every part? Will he not bring to fruition my salvation and grant me my every desire? He's looking back at the end of his life, laying in his deathbed. He goes, yes, you know what? My house is right with God because God has made a covenant of love with me. And he fulfilled his promise in my life. My life is in right relationship with him. And that's the story, right? When you look at your life being sabotaged, your fuel being drained by sin, but worse than just being drained, being lit on fire to explode and destroy us, here is the reality that Jesus Christ came to earth 
covenant love, the, the, the commitment that God makes to us where he says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Even when you're unfaithful, I will be faithful to you. That's covenant love. And Jesus comes and he says, I am going to give my life for you. You deserve to die forever. So I'm going to take the collective eternal death sentence that every one of you face, and I'm going to take it on myself so that when Jesus died, he died once for all. His death becoming the payment for our wrongdoing and sin so that when we believe in Jesus by faith, our sins are forgiven, our guilt and shame removed, and we're given new life. But Jesus didn't just stay dead, right? The, the victory of the moment is that Jesus rose from the dead. And in his resurrection, he gives us life. How? Because when you believe in Jesus by faith, God's spirit, which is eternal and invisible, comes into our spirit, right? I know some of us get a little bit thrown off in this moment. He doesn't come into our brain. He doesn't come into our heart physically. He enters into the eternal part of who we are, God's spirit and our spirit. And when, and when we're reunited in relationship with God, there's a spark of eternal life now living in us so that now now we have true and eternal life. And when God's spirit is alive in our spirit, we are now tapped back into the fuel for life. So if we fill our life with God, we will be fueled by God's presence. Now the question is, how do you do that? So before I jump into the next steps, let me give you a little pause. 2017 is going to be filled with great dreams for you. 2017, you can accomplish some significant things this year. I believe that some of you are going to turn your marriage around. Some of you, you're going to become parents that you dreamed you could become. You're, some of you, you're going to go through an adoption process, or you're going to go get your education, or you're going to take a next step. You're going to begin to live dreams, and God has planted in your hearts destiny, significant purpose. And I want to encourage you, and I hope that I can inspire you. Go live that destiny. Go live that great purpose. Go become who God has designed and created you to become. But, but, quick pause. The purposes of God will never fuel you. The destiny of God will destroy you if you try to use that destiny as the source of fuel. Only God's presence can be the fuel for God's purposes. Did, did you catch that? I'm, I'm a little bit worried. Here's the deal, right? I get the privilege of speaking multiple times a weekend. So I hear myself talk a lot, and I get bored. I, I get tired of hearing myself talk, and then I have this other worry. I go home so often, I go, I, I wonder if people get this. Look, this is like that moment when the body's in the ambulance and they're like, it flatlines, and then they grab those pads. I don't know what this, the, all I know is they're electric pads, and it would be crazy to like put them on my leg or something. Right? But here's the deal they, they, they run together, and then they go, clear, and then nothing, and then clear. And I'm hoping that these words are that clear moment and put it on your heart. I want to get your attention. Look, you're just starting this year. Get this one right. Some of you, you haven't, you, you might be 50 years old. Happy birthday. <laughs> but you, you haven't lived 50 years. You've lived one year repeated 50 times. You might be 22. 
You're not, you haven't lived 22 years. You, you've lived one year repeated 22 times. You're doing the same thing over and over. And my challenge to you is let's pause. Let's number our days. Let's get this one right. Let's remind ourselves that there's nothing else that can fuel us outside the presence of God. And so let, how do we do this? How do we get it right? Well, it's going to be addition through subtraction. The only way this is going to work is if you first look at your life and say, I'm going to cut everything else out. All of the unnecessary, all of the superfluous, all the stuff that's just frenetic, and I'm going to live a focused life. If you want to go up, you're going to have to give up. If you want to get more out of life, you're going to have to give something up of the life you're already living. If you look at the people you aspire to be like, you're going to discover that they don't live busy, frenetic lives. They live focused lives. And so many of us, we're just going to go on from this moment. We're going to go back to doing what we have always done because that's our normal and it's safe and it's comfortable. My job is to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit to shock your system so that you and I begin to live just a little little bit differently, maybe a lot differently than the way we live 2016. And so let's begin. Let's shock the system and say, all right, now let's, let's get real specific and really clear. How can I do this? Well, the first thing is this, right, is we're going to have to be focused on God's presence. You're going to have to just determine. I am going to go into two, this year focused on God's presence. I, I'm going to live a life reoriented around Jesus. That means Jesus at the center and everything else, everything else revolves around Jesus. My work, my marriage, my parenting, my finances. Jesus at the center and everything else revolving around it. Here is the deal. If you're trying to tap into any other source to fuel your life, it's like drinking seawater to quench your thirst. The more you drink, the thirstier you get. If you're using your marriage or a relationship or an addiction, a desire, if you're using anything else as the source of your life, it's drinking seawater. It won't work. It will only destroy us. And so we have to shift our thinking to come to the place where I go, only Jesus can be the fuel for my life. In fact, I'll give you an equation. Jesus plus n nothing equals everything. And the converse is also true. Everything minus Jesus is nothing. You and I have to come to a place where we fundamentally believe that if I have Jesus and I have nothing else, I have more than enough for my life. If you have Jesus and you're sitting in a prison cell because you're being persecuted for your faith in Jesus and you're starving, you are the richest person on earth. If you have Jesus, but you lost your job and your house is foreclosed and your dog died, sounds like a country music song. Uh, if you have, if your life, if your life is a country music song, you, but you have Jesus, you have more than enough. Stop pouting. Stop complaining. Jesus is our satisfaction. Jesus fills and he overflows. Jesus is more than enough of life. And so I have to begin by simply coming to that place of faith where I am willing to believe that I need to be focused on God in order to fuel my life. L listen to how David describes his relationship with God as he looks back over the span of his life. He goes like this. 
This is uh, 2 Samuel 22, and I'm just going to kind of quickly hit the highlights. He says, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer. He's my shield, my salvation, my stronghold, my refuge, my savior. You get the sense that David at the end of his life is like, God's kind of like my everything. I have a crown, I have a kingdom, I have tons of children, I've got all the wealth you can imagine, I've accomplished great feats, I've won great battles, I chopped off the head of a guy named Goliath who's this great monster of a man. Here's the conclusion of my life. God is my shield, my refuge, my salvation. God's my everything. And so if we're going to live this way, we're going to have to make a commitment. And so that's the the next challenge I want to give you, which is this. If we're going to focus on God, then we have to figure out how to be fueled by God. And so we need to be fueled by God's presence. So I want, I want you to think about this, because what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you some, some practical steps, right? Some, some disciplines, some basic habits you and I can develop or improve on in order to serve as a source of fuel in our life. But I want to I challenge you before I give these to you, because some of you, you're going to get tricked into thinking that the habit itself is the fuel, If you drive up to a gas station and your car is on empty and you put the nozzle in in your tank, that's not going to fill your car with gas, right? The nozzle is only a conduit of the fuel. You got to put it in the tank. You got to put your credit card in there. You got to pay for it. Then you got to actually pull the lever and you got to, and hopefully the hose is actually connected to the tank. Then the fuel will begin to flow, right? You all with me so far? So Jesus already paid so that we can have relationship with God. He already paid so that the fuel would flow. These habits, these basic disciplines are simply a conduit to transport the fuel of God's presence into our life. And so how did David tap into the presence of God so that he would be the fuel of his life? Here it is. I'm going to give you a quick verse, and then we're going to look at a few others. But I assure you, this this one verse is just a quick statement on the story of David's life. He goes like this in verse 4. I call to the Lord who is worthy of praise. And I start right there. Bam. David just nailed two basic habits. I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. I prayed. Uh, the first discipline I want to challenge you with is you want to be fueled by the presence of God. You have to be in regular conversation with God. You have to be in regular relationship with God. Th- that means here's how you're going to shock your system and do a little, something a little bit different than you normally would do it. Commit to setting aside time every day to be in conversation with God. Focused conversation with God. Set aside time on a daily basis where you're going to pray, where you're going to talk to God. That means that you're going to be authentic. You're going to be honest. You're going to be vulnerable. You're going to share with God the burdens of your life, the desires of your heart. But you're also going to share with God the the needs of others around you. You're going to lift up the needs of your community. You're going to pray, but not just make the focus of your prayer yourself. Make the focus of your prayer God. Here's what you'll discover, that as you begin to develop an active daily prayer life, God will begin to fuel your life so the flow of God's presence will begin to enter into the tank of your heart because you'll use prayer like a conduit, like a nozzle from a gas pump. Now you're all never going to go to the gas station the same way again. The, the second thing, so he said, I called to the Lord who is worthy of praise. David was a man of worship. Worship 
It's getting your eyes off of yourself and onto God and then sacrificing for God. Worship is anything you do that pleases God. Anything you do that makes God smile, right? But here's a, a way to know whether you're worshiping God. Is it costing you something? And is it more about you or God? If it costs you something and it's about God and you know that it's out of obedience to God, it's worship. Worship is costly, and David lived a life of worship to God. In fact, this was one of those interesting moments where you go, wait, I'm going to give something away, and yet it's going to fill my life. That's right. Worship is one of those paradoxical expressions of our faith where the more we give, the more we get. The more we worship God, the more we express our love to God, the more we're filled with the love of God. And what we fill our life with is what will fuel our life. And this is the only way to fuel your life. And then there's this last discipline that David has that he shares in his last song that he wrote. In verse 31, he writes, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. He is a shield for all who take refuge in him. <laughs> David, at the end of his life, he goes like this. I, I've examined the law of God. I've examined the word of God, and it's flawless. It's been perfect in my life. It's guided me perfectly. His word has given me clarity in decision-making. His word has been the, the roadmap for having right relationship. It's given me wisdom to rule a nation, right? Like, here's David. I want to challenge you. Develop a daily, regular habit of studying God's Word. That's the Bible. 66 different books compiled into two volumes, the Old and New Testament, put into, packaged into one book or one Bible, written over the span of 1,400 years by over 40 different author, authors without contradiction. Because it wasn't written just by 40 different authors but by the Holy Spirit, under those guys under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, because God wanted to tell his story, his love. He wanted to teach us and guide us into all truth and all wisdom. And so would you make it a point to set aside time on a daily basis, not just to pray and not just to worship, but to get into the word of God. We provide a daily reading plan for you. So you have no excuse, all right? It's not like you're off the hook. Like we make it, we make it as, not as easy as possible, but as practical as possible. So not so you don't have an excuse, but so we can help you develop these basic habits and basic disciplines. Can, can I challenge you? Are you drinking salt water to quench your thirst? Are you looking at your life and what you're filling your life with is actually draining you and you don't have a source right now? You've come into this year worn out, burned out, and you're going, man, what, what is my life? For you right now, I want, I want to speak to you, I want to challenge you. Then, then would you make this your moment of surrender to acknowledge Jesus Christ as the Lord of your life? And like David, you begin to make your life, God is my everything. If that's where you're at, then you make it a moment of commitment. Personally, right now, on your own, you just say, Jesus, I believe in you. I give you my life. I surrender my life to you. I'm not going to try to take control of my life anymore. I'm going to drink from the fresh water, the living water of Jesus Christ. If that's where you're at, you make that your personal prayer moment. If you believe in Jesus, my question to you is, what are you filling your life with? Can, can I, would you just allow this to be that, you know, clear moment 
where you go, I gotta stop just following the patterns of the world around me and get back to a life completely centered around Jesus? Guys, this, this should be a kind of a come to Jesus moment. Or say, who cares what anybody else thinks? Who cares what anybody else is doing? Who cares what they're filling their life with? It isn't working. I don't care how much they smile, and I don't care what they post on Facebook. I don't care what they tell you. It's a trick. It's a lie. It's drinking salt water to quench the thirst. And so today is your moment where you can say, you know what? I'm going to completely reorient my life once again, focused on Jesus. Guys, come on. This should be one of those moments that kind of pulls at every one of our hearts, right? A reminder that we read from Revelation where Jesus speaks to the church and says, you know what the problem is? You you lost your first love. You forgot what this whole thing was about. And for me, I'm leading my family in this process saying, hey, hey, you know what? We can't act like everybody else. We can't get caught up in all the other stuff. Let's just come back to Jesus. Let's come back to prayer, come back to worship, come back to his word as, as simply conduits to tap into God. It's all about God's presence. Those are just vehicles, just conduits. So I want you to pause right now and just pray. Just let God's spirit speak to you. He's in this place. We believe he's present here right now with you. Just pause. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.